Welcome to the Tim Biscuit Podcast. Before we get on with today's podcast, I just want to say a massive thanks to our sponsors that are RuneSilks.com, they're a bird care company, and Tenga.co.uk, they're a sex toy company. With both these companies, you can get 10% off your first orders by using the code TINBISCUIT at checkout, capital T, capital B. Use that at checkout to get yourself some discount off. Today we've got a new guest on. Um, her name is Tamara. Have I pronounced that right? Yeah, that's correct, Tamara. Cool, and you're a, sorry? With all the A's. <laughs> With all the A's, um, and you're a midwife. That's correct, for last 18 years. 18 years? That was going to be one of I my know. questions. So how long have you been doing it for? Yeah, so um, I've been qualified for 15, nearly 16, yeah, and started my training back in 2004. I mean, jeez. What's it like to deliver life? Like, sort of, I've, I've like, was thinking about this about two nights ago, and uh, I thought I've got a question to ask because you're the first human to touch a new life, and this new life forms the first human that's going to touch you. You're facing sort of interaction even before the mother. Does like, does that have a spiritual impact on you? Do you think? I'm not, I don't know about spiritual, but I do know that in that it never gets old. It never stops being an amazing experience. I still get a little bit emotional every time. You just can't help but feel touched and privileged when you get when you're allowed to be part of someone's birth. Yeah, because it's sort of that was going to be a question I ask you. Like, do you become desensitized to like sort of like doctors become that sort of thing with cancer patients and sort of so do carers and nurses at a certain sort of degree but I'm guessing bringing life into the world is somewhat special every day. I would say you're in the wrong profession if you don't melt a bit every time you see a newborn baby. And also you're the first human to touch this life form and that's like life forms the first contact it has is with you besides its mother but physically on like the world it's you, exactly. and I, it's just like crazy to me. Just, just think that, like, like you're the f- first contact. That's Perfect. why I, I do describe it as a privilege. There's, there's no other way to describe it as, as we are so amazingly privileged to be allowed, and that's a massive word, you know, because women are allowing us, consenting to us to be involved, and they are, they are letting us be involved in such an amazing, unique, wonderful experience. What what sort of happens from the birth? And I'm a bit ignorant to it all. I I sort of admit I ain't got no kids. But what sort of happens from when the waters break to it? Can like sort of it be short labour? Can some be really long? I'm guessing. It really it really is just completely different with every woman. I mean, how they labour, their experience of it, everyone's perception of it as well. Because you know what medically we call labour and what someone else will describe as their labour are two different things. But I, but it's, it, you just could, you couldn't put a number or a timing. It's like we can't tell you if, if it's a boy or a girl just by looking at your belly. I wish I could. I'd be amazingly rich by now. <laughs> um, but, you know, every woman's experience is completely different, which is why I always say embrace, you know, the, 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 the unknown, be open-minded and um, prepare for everything. Yeah, be um, be like, because I'm guessing it hurts a lot, but from that pain becomes something beautiful. 
Well, just to, to be fair, it's also about how you manage pain and and how and and how like you say how long your experience is and what kind of pain you have and what your pain threshold is and you know some women choose to use um, hypnobirthing and aromatherapy, massage, water, you know, painkillers, gas. There's such a wide spectrum of coping mechanisms for pain that you know you're always going to hear one woman say it was the worst pain of their lives to another woman saying it was manageable and quite, you know, they managed to bear it. So uh, I think it's really unhelpful for women to try and compare it. I think, you know, how the baby's positioned, you know, like you say, um, there's so many factors in pain. Mm. You did mention something that I've never heard of before and that, is it hypnobirth? Yeah. So um, it's, you know, because you think about how, you know, you get sports people and how they're trained to to endure and they're, they're taught like, you know, breathing techniques and, you know, mantras and they have coaches that talk to them through their labour. So hypnobirthing is a kind of coaching technique that helps people sort of compartmentalise how they're processing the pain and, and, and work their way through it. So part of pain is fear. And if you can control the fear mechanisms when you're in labour, then we know that women will have a better labour experience because we know there's a thing called fight and fight. So when you're in pain, you tense up. Some people get really quiet and and some people want to fight their way out of the situation. And we know that this can be counterproductive to how we labour. So by teaching women how to control this fear, they actually have a, a better labour experience if it works for them. That's yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it does. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely one tool in the many toolkits out there that can, you can use and bring in. Like you know, some people love dancing. I've had Lodi dance to Bob Marley through her labour, and it was a very enjoyable time for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> really dancing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you think about. Um, gravity and the way baby has to move within the the pelvis and get into certain positions being upright and mobile can can aid your labor experience and anything that gets you grooving along and wriggling your hips can all help babies descend into the pelvis and help with the labor process so she decided that she would find something that she loved to move to and she bought it in and we, we listened to it the whole way through and it it was actually a brilliant labor why did she stand up for that or does she was she laying yeah, down? Yeah, yeah. She no, she she's she's she was standing up, dancing, wiggling her hips, having having a good old like boogie, I suppose. That's madness. That's crazy. I never thought something like that could happen. To be fair, more mobile positions are better for labouring than us. It's very old fashioned, very paternalistic, very medicalised view of labour is to have women lying on a bed. Yeah. And yeah, the way I describe it to my women is, if you if you hold a ball in your hand, it will sit in your hand if it's flat. But if you you know drop it, it goes down. The baby's head is the same. If we're standing upright, we're getting the baby moving in the right direction using a bit of gravity. So yeah, 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 makes sense. Another question before like we move on from um, midwifery. Um, what's like the guys like it there? Do we like some of them faint? Just like some of them use the gas in there themselves. Or is that as sort of another fallacy that's pushed? I have to, I have I have seen men use a before, but you know, not 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 through our um 
encouragement but you know um just like anyone women can can cope in different ways men cope in different ways I've had men faint I've had men be you know tough and you know robust and it's not just men you you know birth partners can be any sex any you know um so whoever's there you know is just there really supportive and I think that's the main point is about the support for the person in labor so does does like any father say save the placenta? Is it the placenta? And yeah, we've had a few people. We've had a few people want to keep it for different reasons: religious, uh, spiritual. Um, as you say, eat it. That's that thing. A lot of people have it um, dry, free, freeze dried, and, and made into capsules. Oh so right. I've never I've never seen anyone eat it in front of me, so I wouldn't know if if anyone's ever done that. But I have had people uh, people want to um, freeze dry it and make and have it sent to someone who makes it into sort of these capsules they take. <laughs> yeah, that's a strange. That is very. I think strange. it's just a cultural. I think it's cultural. I think um, some people want to be like more of a um, closer to nature thing because you think about in the wild, a lot of animals would eat their own placenta to re- enrich their body back with the iron and. You know the the from the labouring experience. I think you see that in the wild a lot, and I suppose some people think, well, it is from my body, therefore it's natural. So, I mean, you know, each to their own, and I respect Definitely. people's choices. Yeah, I mean, this could be a separate podcast to do because it's just more to it than I thought, and that's probably me being a bit ignorant, to be fair. But yeah, there's a lot more to it than I actually thought about. But you are a member of a group as well, which is linked. And it's the NHS 1000K, no, 100K. Yeah, that's and that's, we've, we had Lilith on, I think it was it this week or last week. Uh, and it's a group of medical professionals that are against the vaccine that was mandate. Yeah, so we weren't against the vaccine, we were against the mandate of the vaccine. Um, so we, we all felt that is a core principle of our medical training, whatever it was that we we you know we were taught respect of autonomy bodily autonomy information is the most important key factor of that having all the information is what makes people make the decisions and when things are being withheld from you or not being you're not being given the full picture we consider that to be uninformed consent have you been vaccinated yourself Uh, against that what what specifically the um, the covid vaccine or all vaccines just the covid yeah. see you've brought up an excellent point that i've mentioned many 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 times in like my podcast what classifies as anti-vaxxer to me maybe three years ago was someone who was against all vaccines just dead mm-hmm. against it because they caused this that and the it's, other actually, and- it's actually a really interesting um even sub argument to that is that in technical terms is the COVID vaccine even a vaccine? Well, because, because under under some under un, under the description of a vaccine, it's it would actually be the COVID vaccine at the moment would be more teetering on a treatment than a vaccine, right? Because you have a vaccine, it does something and it works, and it and it continues to work. Whereas at the moment, with what we know about this one, is that it has a period that uh, and then it wanes and then you have to have another one and then and you know some countries are on their fourth and talking about their fifth one so uh, and if you read certain journals they would actually not classify the covid as a vaccine at the moment they would call it a treatment 
Right. Because it's an ongoing treatment, you see what I mean? Because a treatment is not something that you might have to continue for a long time, whereas a vaccine, usually with vaccines, you may have one, two, and then you'll be done. Hmm. The vaccine programme for children lasts up until preschool, and that's that because they have the two or the three, whatever they're having, and then it's finished and the programme is done because it's done its job. Speaking of the children, what do you think to the sort of governments that I've just said, five to 11-year-olds are welcome to the vaccine, well, the vaccine, if and like the ones that are I'm honest, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit appalled, actually, that they want to roll it out because I would have thought they would be doing a risk assessment and we know that children are in the least vulnerable group, especially if they don't have any comorbidities, you know, and they're not in a vulnerable group of children. And this vaccine, if you want to call it a vaccine, is still in a, an experimental stage. It hasn't come out of any of its t- controlled trials yet. Therefore, do we need to rush to give it to the children? Are they in severe trouble? Are they going to be badly affected by covid so is there a reason to rush it? That's my thinking on it. No, I. it's just crazy. This whole vaccine thing, the COVID vaccine thing is just crazy. And it's like, even if you question it, you're classed as an anti-vaxxer. And to me, that's not what an anti-vaxxer is. An anti-vaxxer is. Um, but there is a counter argument, which I don't know, but I'm going to ask you is, um, I did, did ask Lilith because she was a paramedic, but you're a midwife. Mm-hmm. Is there certain vaccines you have to have to do the job you're doing? Well, um, in terms of mandated in my contracts, um, not specifically very. We ha- we we um, go for tests for things like TB and um, he- um, hepatitis and things like that. But then with the hepatitis, they check you for antibodies first, and then they'll offer you a booster if you're. Um, if your antibodies are low for it. So there is actually an argument for the fact that they actually check antibodies before they administer the vaccine. But there's no specific vaccines that you have to have to say you've got to do this job. Well, when I, when they started your job, they obviously check you for TB to make sure you're not a carrying, carrying tuberculosis because that makes you a danger for yourself and for your patients. Um, they check your hepatitis status. They check a couple of other things but in terms of like when I started my job I wasn't mandated to have anything I had the hepatitis but they then I had the first one and then they checked me for antibodies before they offered me the booster so if people and I've and I've, and I've never had another one, have one again so what would be the difference this is me asking this this is this is people who ask for the me, question for me, what's it, the difference it, between the, the, co- the, the covid one and this one well, the simplest explanation for me is that when it came to, you know, starting my course and asking and, and knowing what things I might have to have or, you know, be tested for, I could research it. I could look at journals and evidence and randomised controlled trials and all the data. And so when it came to this, it's still in a very much as infancy. And therefore, when I put something in my body... I want to know all the sort of information before because that's part of what is informed decision making. And I've never come across it before in my profession where we've said to someone, something is still an experimental stage, but you must put this in your body without, you know, knowing every sort of 
potential side effect and, you know, what it might do to you long term. And so if so, that's the difference. If I could look at years of research for this and went, okay, the risk is like very mediocre. I've seen a long term efficacy of it. It works. I'm happy with, you know, the potential side effects, what they may be. You know, that would be a very easy decision for me to make. Yeah, because like, I don't have that for this. No, no. I've, I've, like, you've lost family and friends through this. Not, uh, you mean because they won't talk to me anymore? You mean? Yeah, through like sort Um, of your vaccination views. Do you know what? It. I'm because I'm not an. And because I'm very much about respecting bodily autonomy, I've never had an argument with anyone who it. In fact, I've never told anyone not to have it. I've always said to them, do your own research on what's out there and make a decision what you think's best for yourself. Half my family is vaccinated, half are not. Yeah, yeah, because it's like so strange going back to what you were saying before the family and friends thing. I wanted to link it to people saying... Trust the science. Anyone in my in my cycle. Hello, I think we've lost you, Tamara. I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, that me. You keep cutting in and out. Sorry, is this is this a bit better? Yes, yes. It has that. I was going to say was that um, anyone who's in my circle of friends are usually very like-minded people like me, very respectful of each other. None of us have fallen out, even if we haven't fallen on the same side of the, you know, the decision-making process. I think a lot of us have actually come now and met in the middle. I think whereas the, the, it has progressed and we've seen third and fourth, fourth doses and potentially, you know, even fifth dose. I think a lot of people now want to take a step back and wait to see what's happening. Definitely, yes. Yeah, I, um, because it's going, in like this country at the minute, in England, we're quite good because all the, like, regulations are, like, being dropped. There's talk about no more free testing. Do you think this is the can before the storm? Do you think there's something else in it? Because it just seems too good to be true to me. Well, I did see, uh, you know, uh, you know, Savage Javid did write to, you know, regulation boards and to hospital trust, urging them to continue to put pressure on their staff to be vaccinated and to write in new contracts for new staff starting to make it a compulsory um, vaccination as a part. So they couldn't put it into the ones who had existing contracts, but to write them into new contracts. And I know that, that he asked our nursing boards to make it part of fitness to practice, which they've rejected, I believe. But I don't think it's finished. I think they realised they couldn't push it through one way, and so they're trying to bring it in another way. Yeah, yeah, true. You're not the first one to say that. It's been in the press and I've had people on my podcast saying saying that. Um, what do you think the end game is? Do you, like, you think it, it's more than just the virus? Or do you think it is a virus? Do you think it's man-made? Or do you think there's something more behind it for an end goal? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'd, I've never believed them that, you know, the aliens are going to, you know, beam me up and or anything like that. So 
I do believe, you know, the COVID exists. I've seen it, you know, I've seen it in my profession. I've never, ever, you know, not not thought we should be taking safe measures to protect each other. However, I do believe that we need to take a step back and, like you say, respect the science. And the science maybe isn't supporting the government's, um, you know, position on mandating vaccines and things like that. But I do believe that what we have allowed to happen unintentionally with the government's control is that we relinquished some of our autonomy and our own um you know you know independence and i think that's a very slippery road to go into sort of a more um totalitarian state so I, it has worried me how the government's kind of run with the power they have and other things they've put through on the back burner of of covid yeah, because it's scary what's what's happening in Canada, Australia, Australia, sorry, New like New Zealand. I think we're fairly good here, but I'm just worried. I hope well, we don't get things, like them. I think. Sorry, it's like little things. Like it's like little things. Like my council where I live in London, in a London borough use the COVID rules to um, so supersede um, the local people's wishes against um, car-free zones and uh, making um car car like they put these boxes up where cars can't drive through and over the years the local people have been against it because of how it causes congestion in other areas but they use the covid rules to put not to over uh, leap over the um sort of like you know discussions and push it through using the covid rules and that's really you know really um made me very worried because what else has, has people used to kind of like circumvent processes yeah I've, so that's why you're part of this nhs 100k do you, yeah, do, you because, go, do you go to the meetings do you go to the protests well i was at the protest me and i brought my children there because i wanted them to appreciate um the ability for their voices to be heard i never mm-hmm. wanted them to be to think that they're they're you know even at their ages they're you know five seven and nine five seven and nine eight um, they, I wanted them to know that if you believe in something and, I, and you know, that they should go and stand, stand up for themselves. So I took them with, with me to the protest. Brilliant stuff. And there's one last question before we sort of wind down is if people say if they've dropped the mandate, we've already spoke about they're trying to get in through the back door, but they're saying if we've dropped the mandate, what's the point in the 100k now? What's what else is going on to like push this movement and get your voices heard? Well, I think there's some proposed changes to the Human Rights Act, which are quite troubling. And I think it was never it was never just about um, one specific part of the mandate. It, it was about reminding people their own power in themselves to make decisions about their body and to remind people how easily we can slip into a sort of like um state where we don't we relinquish our power to people and i just think it's a very slippery slope and so the nhs 100k was more than just about you know the mandate because not everyone who's part of the nhs 100k hasn't had the vaccine um so it was all about reminding people that they count their voices count and their thoughts count because i think what we have lost in the last two years is true democratic process and discussion 
Because we hear all the time the government talking about we're, we're taking into consideration, we're, we're discussing it. But who are you discussing with? Because you, you are not discussing it with the people on the ground. Because if you had, you would have known that we were against the mandates. So who are these discussions? Who are you having with them with? Yeah, and also the press aren't helped, like, like this whole situation in like the last two years. The press have been at the front of like making matters worse if they like anything i just want to take you back to the human rights act or bill i know that's been changed but can you explain a bit about why it's a bit worrying well because when any government feels like they need to change something that's been working really well you have to wonder about what they're why they want to change something because as far as I was aware, and don't quote me because I'm not a, you know, not a lawyer or a solicitor or a legal person. But as far as I was aware, the, the Human Rights Act was quite a robust, well-written document, you know, that, that covered most things. So when the government feels that in the middle of the pandemic where they're trying to impose a lot of limitations on people's freedom of speech and movement and everything else, why they want to tamper with that does ring alarm bells to me. Because I think, are they trying to then... Um, tamper with our rights because I think what they wanted to do is they want to say that yes you shouldn't be able to put something in your body you don't want but in you know what they call in the public interest you will we want to be able to do that under the Human Rights Act but again the question comes down to who decides what's in the best interest and how do we safeguard that these people are doing it for the right reasons yeah yeah that is quite... and, how do, and how do we protect how do we protect the discussion because there wasn't a lot of discussion with lots of people. There was a lot of dissent and different opinions throughout this whole pandemic. And anyone who had a negative view of any kind of government rule was called an anti-vaxxer. It was like it was like a nasty word, wasn't it? You must sound the anti If someone said, oh, I'm not quite sure the vaccine is doing what it's supposed to do, or there might be some adverse reactions, or um, does lockdown work, or is this the right process for children? Everyone was like, oh, you're just an anti-vaxxer. Whereas Consp- usually it could be, yeah. yeah, a conspiracy theorist and suddenly you're in the realms of like, you know, believing in things that, you know, that are out of, out of, you know, space and time. Whereas really we just wanted yeah. to have a dialogue. And that's, that's what I really felt was suppressed throughout the whole two years is, is true democratic dialogue between government and scientists, government and the people, like people on the ground, like social workers, teachers, doctors, police officers, because we've seen the brunt of all the other things that have spiralled out of beyond COVID. Like you say, people not getting cancer treatment, people not getting diagnosed in time, um, the sort of spiralling domestic violence, children, they're saying that there have been children that they have lost completely off the system and they can't find them now. Social workers overwhelmed by, you know, cases that haven't come light because they're not going to school and they're not being seen by health visitors. They're not being seen by the general practitioners. So we have really lost a grip on the things that we really needed to keep a grip on. And is the true, the true cost of COVID been all the, all the, all the ripples from, from lockdowns and all these other measures? And what was worse, the COVID or the, or these other, you know, poor outcomes? It seems, um, lockdowns and vaccines are worse than COVID itself. Personally, well, I, I can't some... say scientifically. I, I wouldn't be able to no. give you a number on that. But you know, from what I've seen, I, I, I did see one report that said they, they they estimated it didn't do very much to stop anything. But you know, that's just one. You know, time will tell. Like I said, long term research will let us know what we need to know. 
I, I do personally think that they've got something more to it because, like, it seems everyone's reading from the same script, and it's like, where's it going to go? Do they just want to bring in some sort of identity card that you know they can control? Who knows? Yeah, I did, I did, I did find it really interesting because when we got interviewed, you know, by mainstream media, you know, NHS 100K off camera, everyone were going, yeah. I've seen some really bad outcomes from the vaccine or someone I know and loads of things. But when it came to it, everyone seemed really to be non-existent reporting of this on in things like people. If it had been any other report, like how many reports do we have on what, what kind of cake Boris had ate at his parties? <laughs> Yet the reporters were having actual physical contact with anything that was slightly against the narrative and weren't, report, weren't prepared to report it at all. Ooh, and it right. seemed to me that that scared me, like, you know, as a, as a thing, I thought, wow, I always thought reporters were like not afraid to report anything. And yet here I had people sitting down with me telling me, oh, yes, my, you know, my sister's auntie, you know, had blood clots and my cousin's this. And I'm telling them that, you know, I'm going to people's houses and then they've got family members that have been poorly from it, but no reporting of it whatsoever. It's it, it's so strange how it works. I, I do think it's all being controlled and it does make you really think but like as like you say you've been lumped in now with conspiracy theorists and now anti-vaccines being like logged as like right wing and it's just all getting out of hand and it all comes from like the press and as you've seen yourself firsthand how the press lie and how the press manipulate well it was just it was just this, this one thing i said to a reporter i said Yes, you're right. So many millions of people have been, you know, you know, had the vaccine and you say it's safe and it's well. But in a norm, in a proper control trial, every single one of those people that would have had the vaccine would have had a health and physical test and a proper medical history taken before they had it. They would have had, you know, rigorous health checks throughout after they'd had it. Long term health checks for a period of time specified by the trial. Who's, who is checking up on all these people? Who is specifically going to every single person who's had it and going, are you okay? Have you, are you having any adverse? Have you, ha- have you been seen by your GP face to face? Have you had your blood pressure checked? Have you had blood tests? So as far as using all the people that have been vaccinated as a sign that it's well and good, I actually think that's, that's unacceptable because you haven't checked them to be, to be using them as that. You can't use logical thinking in this day and age. <laughs> It's the most unrandomized control trial of, of, of any time because you, you keep saying all these people are great and well, but you haven't actually checked up on any of them. Yeah. It's, so you have absolutely no idea if they're happy and well, and, and you're, you're relying on them to have um, a, a plethora of, of, of you know, medical knowledge to know that that's actually a adverse reaction. That's not normal. How did it that make you feel? You know, how did it make you feel when, like, uh, was it this time last year or like the year before that, everyone was clapping for the NHS, and then two years on, they're saying if like they don't get this vaccine, they're selfish, they're this, that, and like the other. Well, and how fast the narrative swings, and how fast the press can turn on a certain group of people. Well. For me, it was so funny because Thursdays when they did the clapping, was I was always working that Thursday, so I usually pass out on my couch and would miss it. And I did make one time to actually go out and clap my colleagues with my children. However, I never did it for the claps. So it for me, I did it because I love my job and, you know, I would never not have gone to work during a pandemic. 
at all. I would it was never a question for me to stay at home and not not put myself out there and look after the women in their families. So it really did hurt me that they thought that all of us who put ourselves out there in the unknown at the time are now being considered to be the most selfish people in the planet <laughs> because we've already proven that we're not selfish because we could have gone, you know, I've got I'm a mother of three children. I could have said, I'm staying at home with my three children and someone else can look after all of you lot. Yeah. But I didn't. So isn't that the you know complete opposite of selfish? Definitely. And it's made me sad that the medical profession that that you you know hide you know holds you know bodily autonomy and consent at its most basic of all principles doesn't actually come out and say more to support its colleagues who are just saying why do we need to rush now we're on a variant we're on a variant of a variant of a variant which they are now probably going to classify as a flu why do we need to push these vaccines before they, they go through clinical trials and why can't we respect people's choice not to have them at, for the moment anyway with you know and just as much as we should respect people who want to have them i honestly because don't care if, yeah if it might you want to get the vaccine get it if you don't don't it really doesn't yeah exactly me. like it just like, doesn't bother me. like everything else it should be your choice and no one should discriminate you against not um the choice and it's like i said are we going to get to the point in society where someone stands outside a and e and goes well, did you break your bone because you had a drink or did you just fall? So, OK, you've had a drink, you're not eligible because you did that. Or have you had, you know, did you eat that Mars bar before you came in? Otherwise, you know, that's not healthy and you can't come in and you've seen, you know. And and how do we start weeding through what we consider to be acceptable behaviour and not acceptable behaviour before we allow someone to get treatment for something or go to work? And people don't realise it's a very slippery road how easily we can mark people out in society and go, you're not, you're not worthy of our respect because of your choices and how can yeah. we filter down to religion, race, yeah. creed, sex. And if, you know, human race hasn't had, has, doesn't have the best history in being respectful. No, and we should really, and the, and the whole human rights act and the whole idea of do no harm and the whole Nuremberg laws was all put in place because we had already failed as human beings. To, to uphold these principles yeah it's um but other people do have the right to question other people's motives but that's their choice and it, again it just comes back to their own argument of you have the choice to do like what you want and sort of people should have that choice because like exactly. i and i yeah i i i did say to people that i'd like took the vaccine um i i do ask well why and i said but like you're gonna have to be careful because like once you accept these you'll have a thin argument to say any against anything else that they might offer you or they will tell you to have because like there will come a time that well i'd like to think there'll come a time that people begin to question it and go i'm not having that but who knows people are having four shots to five shots now as like you say but you know what let, let me be proven wrong in the future. I'm, the thing is, I'm not closed-minded, and that's the most important thing. If in 20 years' time I improve wrong and it's the most bestest thing to ever happen, have, I'll probably be one of the first people to have it because it's been proven. And I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I do follow the science and I do follow the research and I do, you know, you know, follow it. Because do I want my children to have polio? No. Do I want my children to get, you know, horrible side effects from measles, mumps and rubella? No, I don't. So I've always followed, the, you know, the, the, the research when it comes. So, you know, prove me wrong. Great. But until you've done that, you know, be respectful. 
Definitely. And even then, we've always had people who've not wanted to follow the mainstream of anything and that they should be allowed to do that as well because we've got enough room in, in, in society to be able to let people to live, let live as long as they're not harming them, anyone else because people's choices really, especially with this vaccine, because it's not a, it doesn't stop you know, a lot of things, it really just minimises symptoms, so they say, or for yourself, all we're doing is allowing people to make choice about their own body. Yeah. And that's fine. You want to have it? Great. I'll support you. In fact, I tell all the women who ask me where the hubs are, where they can go and get it, and, and the women who don't want to get it, I said, that's absolutely fine. We'll still see you. We'll still look after you. I'm respectful of your choices. There should be more people like you out there, but unfortunately, that's not the way... You like the world work and I don't think the world will ever be like that we'll always have confrontational issues we'll all have the vision and we'll all be divided in some way because that's just how human nature works I definitely think this has shown that the people who talk the talk and then the people who walk the walk and there's a big fine line between the two of those and it's, it has been a bit of a disappointment for me. I would, that's how I describe the whole the whole last couple of months have been extremely disappointing and saddening for me not because what's happened but it's the response of us from people itself about how it's you know evolved and everything like that so yeah it's been very disappointing yeah definitely so if people wanted to um get more involved or support the nhs 100k group how would they go about it well they're on you know you can you can use if you just google them you'll find them they're on you know twitter and you know it's to be fair what people really need to do is just be Starting discussion, I think discussion is the most important thing. Having communication with with other people, speak to your MPs, you know, lobby your MPs, and and you know, just just be respectful more than anything else. And if you don't think something's right, don't be afraid to say it because it's okay to have an opinion and it for not to be agreed with everyone in the room. I think that's what we're most afraid of. Everyone's afraid to look the fool and be the odd one out. And I think I've had to learn. But it's okay. I'm quite happy being the odd one out. Definitely, it's cool to be the odd one out. You, you like to say you like mentioned discussion. You should have discussion. Unfortunately, you're not allowed discussion because anything that a certain group don't like, they'll flag you. They'll try and cancel you. And I know. And it is right. You do need discussion and conversation. That's why I got this podcast in 2018, just to be a free speech and an unedited platform mm. where anyone can come in. I might not necessarily like the person or mm. li- agree with the views or like the views, but I do believe they should be heard. And because like, well, many, exactly people's, many people's words are either sort of paraphrased or manipulated differently from like the press so from hearing it from like horse's mouth you can normally tell if the guy or like the woman or etc is full of shit or not so that's one reason why i got this my children in the background (laughs) (laughs) that's fine that's fine um we'll we'll let you get off because i'm like sort of of super busy but massive thanks for like sort of coming on um as i say it is an open podcast so anyone is welcome to come on and talk about anything they want anything at all Thank you for letting me talk and put my opinions out. Probably the first unedited thing that's gone out from me. So no. I appreciate that. No, you've been fine. It's been brilliant. It's um, opened my eyes. I still can't get over the dancing like lady giving birth. I think that's been the highlight of the podcast for me. <laughs> I just think like, like it's like in anything, you know, be open minded. Don't go like 
I should have control over this situation. I don't control the woman and her body and her thing. I am just merely there as a more more knowledgeable support person and who who guides them through their process and trying as much as possible to give them what they want within the safe way in safety. And uh, I think the minute any kind of situation that you feel like you're in charge, that's when you've not, you're kind of slipping into the wrong habit. That's when everything goes wrong. As soon as you think you figured it out, everything comes crashing down. Again, that's just how the universe works. (laughs) So Yeah, exactly. I always feel I'm learning something. Every day I learn something. And every day we learn something, whether it's science or my children come home and teach me something. And I'm like, wow, you know, my mind is open. You know, what we thought yesterday was not what we know today and what we may not know tomorrow. So I think if we all have that vision of like, we will learn more then I think we we would all be a little bit more open-minded to each other and that's what life is about you Vic one of the nails on and like the edge which I think why like we're here like except for love is to learn and progress and become more knowledgeable and more forgiving and more thinking of like others and be prepared to be wrong I think that's the biggest thing I'm always prepared to be wrong you teach me I'm open to that you know that's my my thing if my if my seven-year-old can teach me something fantastic yeah you've got to accept self-responsibility there's no self-responsibility nowadays it's always somebody else's fault and um then yeah. learn, learn to be wrong unfortunately yeah, exactly. i'm never wrong so there you go <laughs> <laughs> my five-year-old right. would agree with you <laughs> yeah. i think everyone would agree with me so okie okay well thanks Thanks for that, um, and I'll let you get back to your kids, and have a good night. So much. Have a great Cheers. evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Tea Biscuits Podcast.